Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. I'm Bill Nygut with Georgia Public Broadcasting. On September 21, 2011, the state of Georgia executed Troy Davis. Twenty years earlier, he was sentenced to death for the murder of Savannah policeman Mark McPhail. The case sparked mass protests. Atlanta-based playwright Lee Noel found fervent debates, even within her inner circle, about whether Troy Davis deserved to die. She was commissioned by Atlanta's Synchronicity Theater to write a play about the Troy Davis trial and the aftermath. In 2016, it premiered at Synchronicity. It was called Beyond Reasonable Doubt, The Troy Davis Project. We asked Lee to adapt the show for our audiences. Each act of the play may lead you to a different conclusion about whether Troy Davis was guilty or innocent. Lee, there's such extensive research in this play. How did you go about all the work that you did to find out information about the play? Well, I uh, read everything I could get my hands on. Uh, it, luckily, we were in the age of the Internet, so uh, there was no shortage of sources. So I'd track down something on the Internet. I'd read everything I could find, and then I started getting the court transcripts. I contacted the Chatham County Courthouse. I talked to um, attorneys who were involved in the case. I talked to people who gathered the recantations. I did interviews with people who were directly involved with um, all of the legal aspects of the case and all the activism uh, parts of the case to try and get opposing viewpoints to get the broadest possible perspectives I could get Um, on this case from every level. So he was executed in September 2011. Your play premiered at Synchronicity in 2016. So you were beginning the process of gathering materials when this execution was fresh in people's minds. What kind of charged emotion did you find when you talked to people on either side of this case? Well, um, (laughs) wow. There was a lot of emotion that people had about this case, and sometimes um, it was still so fresh in their minds that they didn't want to talk about it. Sometimes people would hang up on me and get very threatening with me, so that was fun um, and gave me a lot of uh, respect for journalists who have to live with this every single day of their lives. Um, other people were st- very distraught and depressed. One person who worked on the case said that the case took his health away from him. He landed in the hospital with a pretty um, serious health condition because he had had worked on it for uh, many, many years directly, and and it just kind of broke his heart. So there, there was a lot of emotion and energy surrounding it from the people who were involved, naturally, because this went on for 20 years and the stakes were so high. People get upset no matter which side of the coin you're on, whether you are on the side of um, believing that Troy Davis should be executed or you believe that he should not be executed. You know, at that point in time, people's um, tempers and their feelings were, were pretty at the surface. It was a very raw, emotional time to be asking these questions. Tell us about this act of the play. This is the Curtis and Mary Act. 
Curtis is a first-year freshman uh, student at Morehouse College here in Atlanta. Mary is his grandmother who raised him. And uh, Mary was involved in the civil rights movement. She marched in Selma. And Curtis went to Westminster for um, high school and is now at Morehouse. And as happens in the other act of your play, audiences are going to go on a journey with Curtis as he explores his feelings about the innocence or guilt of Troy Davis. Correct. Beyond Reasonable Doubt, the Troy Davis Project intertwines fictional characters reacting to the pending execution of Troy Davis with factual material drawn from the Davis trial transcript, media reports, and statements from advocacy organizations and individuals that took a position on the execution. Likely Noel, GPB Radio entrusts to listeners the choice of deciding for themselves the issues the play presents. Here is the Curtis and Mary Act of Beyond Reasonable Doubt, The Troy Davis Project. On September 21, 2011, Troy Davis was executed for the murder of Mark McPhail. What you think happened the night of the murder depends entirely on the people you choose to believe. American Civil Liberties Union. The case of Troy Davis was corrupted by implications of racism from the very beginning. A black man accused of killing a white police officer. Prosecuted by Spencer Lawton, the district attorney in the Georgia County that has produced 40% of its death row exonerations. Prosecuting Attorney's Council of Georgia. Spencer Lawton named 2008 District Attorney of the Year. He is the gentleman DA. Mr. Lawton is the kind of person who would have invented good manners if they had not already been invented. He invariably looks for and tenaciously holds the moral high ground. Joseph Washington, witness. In August of 1989, I was at a party where some people got shot. Very soon after the shooting, I went to Farm Street near the Burger King. That's where I saw Sylvester Combs, I know him by the name Red, shoot the police officer. Robert Grizzard, witness. In August 1989, I was a sergeant in the Air Force. I witnessed the murder of Officer Mark McPhail. After the murder, I was interviewed by the Savannah Police Department and signed a statement. I couldn't identify the shooter. Judge William T. Moore, Jr., U.S. District Court. After careful consideration and an in-depth review of 20 years of evidence, the court is left with the firm conviction that while the state's case may not be ironclad, most reasonable jurors would again vote to convict Mr. Davis of Officer McPhail's murder. Chief Justice Leah Sears, Georgia Supreme Court. In this case, nearly every witness who identified Davis as the shooter at trial has now disclaimed his or her ability to do so reliably. If recantation testimony shows convincingly that prior trial testimony is false, it simply defies all logic and morality to hold that it must be disregarded categorically. Granny? Curtis? Oh, my. Hey. Are you all right? Fine, fine. Just stop by to see you. What a fine young man you are. Sometimes I look at you and I swear it's your daddy staring back at me. Are you hungry? I could eat. I want to hear all about school. 
Just been going to class. Mm-hmm. You know, getting settled. <laughs> I'm so glad to see you. Now, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, mm -hmm. but when you chose your classes, you told them you wanted to be a history major, didn't you? We don't decide our major Because until... I want people to know you set your mind on what you want to do. Now, I marched in Selma with Dr. King. I know. So when it comes time for your dissertation, I can be a reference for you, really paint the picture for what it was like. Granny, you went to one march. One march. I went to Selma, young man. All right, Rosa Parks. I lived right here in Atlanta, at the center of it all. My father met with members of the movement at Pascal's La Carousel. It's just Pascal's. Pascal's La Carousel. My father was an integral part of it. Here we go. Now, I was only a teenager when I marched in Selma, but that's because I was ahead of my time. My mother wanted me to go to the cotillions, wear fluffy party dresses, and be polite. My debut was the biggest moment of her life. But my daddy, my daddy saw that I was progressive. He snuck me out of the house so I could march in Selma with him. I knew what I was about, and so do you. My mother went to Spellman, so I went to Spellman. That's why I'm so proud you're a Morehouse man. I know. Now, there will be times when you'll want a little female companionship for going to the dances and the school out. Granny. I know you had that fling with that Morris Brown girl, but you're a man now. You need to get serious. I want to tell you there are some very nice girls who go to Spelman. Nice girls from nice families. Progressive young women. And if there's one thing I want for you is a progressive young woman. I know. Your granddaddy was a pillar of the community. He gave money to the church. We have that big stained glass window because of him. Now. I'm not saying you have to be a businessman like him, but I expect great things from you. And great-grandbabies are some of the things I expect. You've got a whole lot of plans for me. <laughs> I'm only looking out for your future. You're looking to brag on me to your friends. What's wrong with that? How are those cookies? Good. Oh, I'm glad. Now, how long can you stay? A couple of days. A couple of days? I don't remember seeing that on the calendar. They it's sent. not on the calendar, just a little break in class, that's all. Now, I know for a fact It's they just don't something they're trying. It's not a big deal. Hmm. Your friend dropped by last week. Who? That white policeman. His name is John. His name is that white policeman, as far as I'm concerned. Green. The man is a cop, Curtis. And cops turn on you just because they can. John's not one of those cops. He's watched over me my whole life. When, when we got death threats, he waited for me after school every day to make sure I was okay. Why can't you They attacked us at Selma. Policemen in riot gear. Tear gas, German shepherds, they beat us with nightsticks. I know. At the Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Mayor Daly ordered the cops to attack. I know, I've heard it a hundred times. Well, you're gonna hear it a hundred more if you keep talking to that. Racism doesn't exist anymore. People my age, we don't see color, we just see a person. 
If you think racism doesn't exist anymore, then the world has a wake-up call for you. Racism still exists. It just found better places to hide. It's rooted in white folks' power. We're denied equal access to education, jobs, even the right to simply exist. To, to walk down the street without being arrested. That's all it takes, Curtis. If you're a black man in this society, then you're a criminal. Like Troy Davis. Mm -hmm. He's an innocent man who's about to die simply because he is black. My high school, nobody cared if I was black. Is that what they told you? One of your white friends in your private school? Some kid who doesn't even know about racism because he's never experienced it? I knew this could be a problem. I knew it, but it was the best in the city, so that's where you went. Hey, Westminster was great. I didn't have a single problem there. The only people still fussing about racism are older black folk going on about the struggle. So I don't see how, how you- How I what? This isn't a- Racism is over. The world has changed. And your brothers at Morehouse, is that what they say? No. No, it's not. My name is Alicia Blakely. I'm the president of the Savannah chapter of the National Action Network. As I sat in the courtroom, I wondered if my ancestors experienced the same sick feeling I was having in my stomach, watching Troy Anthony Davis on trial for his life, his life in the hands of a racist judicial system that looks at the life of a black man like it is a joke. One by one, the witnesses got on the stand and told how they were interrogated by three and four police officers at a time, threatening them and being told if they did not say Troy Anthony Davis was the killer, they would go to jail as an accessory to murder. After each witness, the state attorney brought up all the witnesses' criminal records to break down their credibility. Their credibility was never an issue when they spoke against Troy Anthony Davis. Then one by one, each police officer got on the stand and said they never coerced or threatened a witness. Now in all the hearings Troy Anthony Davis has had over the years, his lawyers have always received a split decision. What that says is that many judges have problems with Troy's case and believe he should have a new trial. The United States Supreme Court has said something is wrong with this case. It's time for a change. Young men and women of color, learn what your rights are so that something like this doesn't happen again. My name is Antoine Williams. I was working the graveyard shift at the Burger King at the bus station in Savannah. I pulled into the parking lot at 1 o'clock a.m. After I pulled in, I looked around and saw a police officer chasing someone and heard a shot and saw the officer go down. I couldn't really tell what was going on because I had the two darkest shades of tint you could possibly have on the windows of my car. Later that night, some cops asked me what had happened. They asked me to describe the shooter and what he looked like and, and what he was wearing. I kept telling them I didn't know. I was scared. It all happened so fast. After the officers talked to me, they gave me a statement and told me to sign it. I signed it. I did not read it because I cannot read. 
At Troy Davis's trial, I identified him as the person who shot the officer. I felt pressure to point at him because he was the one who was sitting in the courtroom. I have no idea what the person who shot the officer looks like. My name is Dorothy Fair. On the night that the police officer was shot in 1989, I was staying at the Thunderbird Motel across from Burger King. I was in my room when I heard a woman screaming. I went down the stairs, and that's when I heard the gunshots. When I got out of the stairwell, I saw the man lying in the parking lot. There were more than two guys running away. I don't know which of the guys did the shooting, because I didn't see that part. Police investigating the case asked me to come down to the police station. I felt like I ain't have a choice. I wanted to be able to leave, and so I just said what they wanted me to say. A little while after I made the statement, a police detective started coming by my mother's house looking for me and showed me a photograph of Troy Davis. I ain't know Troy Davis's name at that time, but the detective told me his name, and his name was on the back of the picture, too. The detective only showed me that one photograph. The detective told me that other witnesses had identified Troy Davis as being the shooter. From the way the officer was talking, he gave me the impression that I should say that Troy Davis was the one who shot the officer, like the other witness had. The detective didn't tell me I was a key witness or anything like that. I, I felt like I was just following the rest of the witnesses. So I told the detective that Troy Davis was the shooter. Even though the truth was that I didn't see who shot the officer. Benjamin Jealous, president of the NAACP. Innocent until proven guilty. These four words helped establish our criminal justice system. But in a nation that prides itself on our belief in liberty and justice for all, why is Troy Davis, with an overwhelming body of evidence pointing to his innocence, facing execution? When the Supreme Court heard the evidence, they understood that there were many questions to be answered. But instead of granting Troy Davis a new trial where his peers could decide his fate, he was forced to face a single federal judge where the burden was on Troy to prove his innocence, the exact opposite presumption of a jury trial. A jury trial would have made this issue moot. Reasonable doubt would have freed Troy Davis. Hey, John. Stopped by to see you last week. Completely forgot you were at school. Granny told me. I don't know what I was thinking. Habit, I guess. You see the game last week? Oh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Man, I was sure they were gonna lose. And then that last play. Came out of nowhere. Kickoff return, no time left on the clock, took it to the house. Touchdown! Man. It was a miracle, proof God exists. We're due for a comeback. Last season, they were a mess. I know, season tickets and we couldn't score to save our ass. Yeah, but remember the last one? Man, oh. that, was that a game or what? That was a game, man, that was a game. <laughs> so how's school? Okay. What do you mean okay? I don't know. Everyone in my hall, they went to the same schools. And? Nothing. I don't want to talk about well, it. Well, we're going to talk about it. They don't like me. How do you know? I just know. How? I told you, I don't want to... God. Yesterday, I was sitting in my room, and they were in the hall laughing. I went out there to hang out with them, and they all got quiet. Then someone said something I didn't understand, and they all started laughing again. So I just went back to my room. I'm just... I'm so tired of being different. I know.
Give it some time. You'll figure it out. There's nothing to figure out. I don't belong there. I, I want to do something important. What do you mean? I don't know. Something. I, like you. You caught the guy who killed my dad. And? That's important. You're the reason that guy can't hurt anybody else. Curtis? And after my dad died, my mom... And then when she died... Curtis. Finish school. I don't belong there. And I know it. I'm only going because Granny... My God, your grandmother is paying for Morehouse. It's a pricey school. You know how lucky you are to have that. I know, but... Then why do you want to throw it away? Why do you want to treat it like it's nothing? Because it doesn't feel like my life. It feels like hers. Granny's had her life. Why can't she let me have mine? Because your dad went to Morehouse, so you're going to Morehouse. Why can't you just... Fine. You work in that Troy Davis rally? Hope not. It's gonna be a mess. Like a riot? Maybe. I'm going. No, you're not. Somebody needs to be there with the victim's family. You are not the McPhail family. They're going through exactly what we went through. And everyone hates them for it. Somebody needs to stand up for them. Your grandmother know you're going? No. You want me to tell her? No! Then back off, Troy Davis. Get your life together. I'm trying to watch out for you. So I'm telling you, go back to school. My name is Michael Cooper. In 1989, I was shot in the face after leaving a party in the Cloverdale area of Savannah, Georgia. I was shot while leaving the party in the car with some friends. I've had a chance to review a statement which I supposedly gave to police officers on June 25th, 1991. I remember that they asked me a lot of questions and typed up a statement which they told me to sign. I did I read the statement before I signed. In fact, I have not seen it before today. In that statement, the police said that I told them that Troy shot me. I never told the police that. What is written in that statement is a lie. I do not know who shot me that night. I do not know it now, and I did not know it then. My name is Kelly Fight. I was a ballistics expert with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation for 31 years. I have been asked by the attorneys representing Troy Davis to offer my expert opinion on ballistics issues in the capital case of State versus Davis. According to the state, Mr. Davis was the sole shooter. In support of this claim, the state called Roger Perrion, who conducted ballistics testing relating to the case, to testify. Perrion's pre-child conclusions are internally inconsistent. Also troublesome to me is the fact that another individual present at the scene of Officer McPhail's shooting, Sylvester Coles, was unquestionably in possession of a 38 caliber pistol in the time around the officer's murder. Yet to my knowledge, this gun was neither received nor tested by the GBI. This is especially true in light of the available evidence which appears to indicate that the murder weapon may have been a 38 caliber revolver. Based upon my review, it is my expert opinion that the ballistics analysis conducted in this case is shoddy and questionable at best and patently wrong at worst. As it appears now, the testing already conducted in this case is wholly lacking in reliability. My name is Dee Dee Collins. On the night the officer got shot, Troy and I went to the pool hall and played a few games. I stepped outside and Red Coles was there. Red pulled a gun from his waistband. 
Red was arguing with some man about beer. I ran back and told Troy there was fixing to be a fight. Troy and I came back outside. Red was threatening the man, telling the man to give him a beer and that Red would shoot him. I took off running. I was running back to the car when I heard the gunshots. The cops showed up at my house. There were 15 or 20. A lot of them had their guns drawn. I was scared as hell. An officer put handcuffs on me and put me in the back of the squad car. I was only 16 years old. Some detectives started yelling at me, telling me that I knew that Troy Davis killed that officer. I told them I didn't see Troy do nothing. They got real mad. They were telling me that I was an accessory to murder and that I would pay like Troy was going to pay if I didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. I told them that it was Red and not Troy who was messing with that man, but they didn't want to hear that. I testified against Troy at his trial. I told the jury that Troy hit the man that Red was arguing with. That is not true. I never saw Troy do anything to the man. I said this because I was scared that the police would throw me in jail if I told the truth. Curtis, I need you to help me with these groceries. John, what are you doing here? Hi, Miss Mary. I was just checking in with Curtis, see how he's doing. Curtis is fine. I'll be on my way. Does nothing I say matter to you? He was in the neighborhood. I just bet he was. Granny, I... You start unpacking these groceries right now. I have to be at a meeting and I come home and find a policeman up in my house. Now, I know you think he helped us, and maybe he did, but his job is done and he needs to go back to where he belongs. He knows I don't like him here. He knows it. And he just barges in here like he lives here. Well, he doesn't. Your meeting's about Troy Davis, isn't it? Yes, it is. He's got a clemency hearing on Monday. They have more than 500,000 signatures from people asking them to stop the execution. The Board of Pardons and Paroles will see sense and do the right thing. You want them to commute his sentence? Yes. Stop the execution? You know I do. I don't know why. Because there's too much doubt. And when there's doubt, you can't carry out a death penalty. You can't kill an innocent man. They ought to let him go, but I know how the system works. The most we can hope for is life in prison. What's gotten into you? You've seen me work on this for years you never cared before. I've been reading up on Troy Davis, and I bet I know things you don't. What if he's lying? What if he's a sociopath who just likes getting the attention? Fold up that bag like I taught you. Troy Davis comes from a good family. That family goes to church. Doesn't mean he's innocent. He took his handicapped sister to her rehabilitation appointments every day. Does that sound like a murderer to you? He was known on the streets as raw, rough as hell. Raw could mean anything. The year before the murder, he pleaded guilty to carrying a concealed weapon and the gun had altered serial numbers. That doesn't mean he's a murderer. They never found the gun that killed Mark McPhail. Never. Troy Davis wasn't a saint. Fox News Fox said... Fox News? Is that what you're watching? 
He was a mentor to kids in the neighborhood. He was a peacemaker in his family. The man is innocent. When the murder happened, he drove to Atlanta to hide out from the police. They had a shoot to kill order on him. What was he supposed to do? If he was innocent, he should have acted like it. He turned himself in. The man turned himself into the police with a pack. And did you see the picture of him when he turned himself in? One of the witnesses said he had that same smirk on his face when he stood over Mark McPhail and shot him. Go off to college and show up a month later, won't tell me why, and start railing about Troy Davis. How does that make any sort of sense? I remember what we went through. Curtis. And here comes this thing, and I'm living it all over again. Well, maybe you need to talk to somebody. We can talk to Deacon Meadows tomorrow at church. He was convicted of shooting another man in the face earlier that same night. That was disproven. Those bullets were not a conclusive match. Listen to me, Curtis. The other man that got shot, Michael Cooper, is black. So they don't care. Troy Davis got the death penalty because they say he killed a cop, a white cop. This has nothing to do with race. Then tell me, why is it that mass murderers who are white get life in prison while people of color like Troy Davis get the death penalty? Because black people get the death penalty more than white people. Because black lives don't count. In Connecticut, when the victim is white, black people get the death penalty three times more than white people. And it's even worse in other states. And do you know who decides if they're going to pursue the death penalty in a murder trial? No. So, you don't know everything at 18 years old now, do you? The district attorney. That decision is in the hands of one man. That's a lot of power in a single set of hands. And how are district attorneys hired? Like anybody else, I guess. They're elected. So folks vote for the district attorneys who are the toughest on crime, the ones who will pursue the death penalty. And the district attorneys always side with the police. That system keeps the color lines in place and Troy Davis got snagged in that system and now he can't get out. Well, maybe he got snagged in that system because he did something wrong. In case you have forgotten, you are a young black male, and that's two strikes against you. Now, I have given you the talk, but you won't listen. I've told you if the police pull you over, keep your mouth shut. Speak only when spoken to. Yes, sir. No, sir. Hands at 10 and 2. Don't give them an excuse to kill you because they will, even if you do nothing. You could be blamed for a crime you did not commit and end up on death row. And as a black man, God help you if the legal system gets a hold of but you. But if he's guilty... Troy Davis is innocent. What makes you think Troy that... Davis is innocent! I have worked on this for three years. I have worked with Georgians for alternatives to the death penalty and murder victims' families for reconciliation. I have worked with Amnesty International. They have an agenda. If you call justice an agenda, then all right. If you don't, you better shut your mouth. They're the ones helping poor black folks who are victims of the system.
Half a million black men are locked up in prison right this second. A lot of them are innocent. Amnesty International led the charge on freeing Troy Davis for a reason, because he's innocent. I have read every article, every recantation. I have studied this case upside down and inside out, and there is no doubt in my mind, none. Troy Davis is innocent. If he was innocent, the court would have found him innocent. But they didn't. They found him guilty and they gave him the death penalty. That's what I'm talking about. The system, the, the whole system is corrupt. That's why they didn't find him innocent because the rules aren't fair. They were fair for us. We're the exception. And how did that work out for us? Worked fine for me. You were too young to go. But I went to that execution, Curtis, and I sat there and I watched. I've been haunted by that day ever since. That man who killed your father, he had a mother and I met her. I met her after the execution was over and I saw that we both lost a son. And that's why I'm working so hard for Troy Davis. Even if it's the last time I fight for someone like this because my heart can't take it. I didn't want to get involved in this, but I know what the Davis family is going through and I know what the McPhail family is going through because I've lived it. I've walked in their shoes. It's too sad, Curtis. I know that the death penalty doesn't bring anyone peace, even if the person is guilty. A person's life, that's worth more than the worst decision he ever made. Not if he kills someone. Just think, just think for a second. We say murder is against the law. So if you kill someone, the state kills you. That doesn't make moral sense. Yes, I'm not saying the murderer shouldn't be punished. I'm saying the prison is punishment and life in prison without parole is still a death sentence. Don't you see that? A murderer doesn't deserve to live, even if it's in prison. Someone who does something that bad, they deserve to be killed. You've got to get on the right side of history, Curtis, because you're on the wrong side right now. Thank you for agreeing to talk with me about this. How long have you worked on the Troy Davis case? Direct involvement is 10 years. So what happened? A white policeman named Mark McPhail was killed by a young black man. The entire town of Savannah erupted. They hauled every black man of a certain age down to the station. These were teenagers. Their parents weren't allowed to go with them. They had no lawyers. They were kept up all night, threatened. Which is where we come to Troy Davis. You think he's innocent? I do. The only thing Troy did that night was run to watch a fight. Four hours after the murder, they interviewed all the eyewitnesses. The witnesses said they weren't sure what they saw. Red Coles was worried that someone would implicate him, so Red got a lawyer walked into the police station and told them Troy Davis did it. Keep in mind, no one had even mentioned Troy until this point. 
The police bought the story that Red told them. How do you know Red was lying? Red claimed he didn't have a gun that night. Ten days later, they discovered Red did have a gun, and he was at the crime scene. So they knew he was lying. But by then, it was too late. And what about Dorothy Farrell? She was the prosecution's star witness. Yes, but Dorothy Farrell said something different every time she was asked about the case. And then there was this moment in the middle of the trial. I've never seen this happen in any other case. Dorothy Farrell called Troy's lawyer at home in the middle of the night and told him she lied, that she hadn't seen the shooting at all. This was the star witness, the person they'd based the entire case on, and she confessed that she lied. The next day in court, it came out that Dorothy Farrell had sent a letter to Spencer Lawton, the DA, offering to testify against Troy Davis if he'd shortened the jail sentence she was serving. For a different crime? Yes. The phone call she made saying she lied, the letter she sent to the DA, all of it was kept away from the jury. They weren't allowed to hear it. And what about the recantations? Those were collected later on, right? Yes. A lot of people have come forward saying that Red Coles is guilty. So why don't they prosecute Red Coles? We can't. Our hands are tied by the legal system. Since we know eyewitnesses get it wrong, recantations should be considered, but they're not. If every recantation were taken seriously, the entire legal system would fall apart. Look, people who want to believe Troy Davis is guilty don't want to believe that the system could fail so catastrophically. They want to believe the system works. People need to be reminded that this is a system of human beings and we are all fallible. If we could administer the death penalty with absolute certainty we got the right person without prejudice of any sort, then it might be okay. But I've worked on more than 300 death penalty cases and I can tell you, the system is broken. The entire system? Yes. There are too many wrongful convictions. If you send someone to prison, you can correct that if it turns out they're innocent. But if you send them to death and you're wrong, you can't take that back. Tanisha, it is so good to see you. Oh, good to see you too, Mary. Yeah, you won't believe what he did this time. It's our anniversary. He's coming over to my house, so I make this nice dinner. I've got candles lit, I've got flowers. Mm. It's been a year. I'm thinking something's gonna happen. Maybe he'll pop the question. Okay. So he comes in the door, he sits down, uh -huh. and he asks me, can I borrow $2,000? What? Baby, can I borrow $2,000? Like I'm Regents Bank! What's he need that for? He wants a new demo. He wants studio time. He wants musicians. I said musicians for what? All you do is press play on a drum machine and rap into a mic. How does that cost $2,000? Lord. He says, you know I've been trying to get my music going and it's hard, but when I make it big, I pay you back. Uh-huh. Isn't that uh -huh. crazy? <laughs> I mean, damn, I work hard. I know. And he doesn't. Sits around his apartment all day. He says he can't work because he's an artist. Oh, Lord. I've been supporting him. Whenever we go out, who is it picking up the tab? Me. He doesn't buy you dinner? No. Mary, he hasn't paid for anything since we met. That first month, he was all, oh, baby, let me buy you that. Baby, let me get you that. Well, that stopped real quick. Mm. Now, I pay his rent, I buy his groceries, I pay his utilities, and he has the nerve to ask me to do his laundry and put gas in his car. Oh, no, he doesn't. Oh, yes, it does. I've had it. You said that last week. I know. But this time, I mean it. You need to get all Erica Badu on his behind. Mm. 
Every time we go somewhere, I gotta reach down in my purse to pay your way and your homeboy's way. You better call Tyrone. Tell that joker, say, call him. <laughs> oh, I know, Mary, I just, you're 34 years old. You got a degree from Berkeley, you're in management at Turner, and you've got your own house. Why you want to be weighed down by that man? You want to get married? You want children? Yeah. Then you need to move on. You need a real man. A man who's your equal. I would have left him, but I thought, if I do this, I'll never find another man. I've looked. The good ones are all taken. Woo! The sad truth is, there aren't that many out there. Too many men are being taken out in their prime. Good men, like my son. I think about him every day. Mm, he was a good dad to Curtis. He was a good dad, a good husband, faithful to Audrey, treated her with respect, a good son, went to church with me every week. I remember. I shouldn't have sent him to the convenience store that day. Mary. If I hadn't done that, Peter Rowland wouldn't have killed him. Shot him while he was standing in line. Folks think I feel better because they caught Rowland, because they executed him. Oh, that guy John caught him. I remember you told me. But him. I didn't tell you everything. Rowland robbed the same store two years before, and John was the responding officer, but he never followed up on it. He just... Dropped it. That was two years before? Yes. Oh, man. But I can't tell Curtis because he idolizes John. I think about what my son would say to me if he knew how I felt. I know it's not right, but I look at John and all I see is what I lost. Mary, it's okay to feel like that. To hate a man who's trying to help my grandson? No. No, it isn't right, Tanisha. It isn't right. And I listened to the sermon today about forgiveness, and I thought he's talking about me. He's talking about the hardness of my heart and the fact that I need to forgive, but I can't. You've been through it, Mary. Anyone could understand how you feel. I sent Curtis to Morehouse to be a part of that brotherhood, to be proud of who he is. I tried to surround him with people from the church. We have some fine, upstanding men. Mm. We do. They all married. No, but... stop it. <laughs> Curtis stopped going to church. And now I. He'll come back. They all do. Just have faith. Lord. And here I am working on Troy Davis. Now, I just can't see how anyone could believe. How could someone think that killing him is the right thing to do? I don't know. Folks ganging up on Troy? You think he was a monster the way they talk? That Michelle Malkin on Fox News? You hear what she's saying about Troy? I'm trying not to listen to her. I don't know how she can sleep at night. And don't get me started on Sarah Palin. All her talk about the taxpayer dollars. If folks knew how much the death penalty costs, they'd end it today. How much is it? It's up to 10 times more to keep a man on death row than it is to keep him in prison for life. Why? Because of the legal fees. Because of the death penalty prisons. In Florida, it costs 23 million more to execute a man than it does to keep him in prison for life without parole. 
even if he goes into prison in his 20s and dies in his 70s. What? That's crazy. 23 million per person. Now, you know what gets me with Sarah Palin. Uh, there's so much to choose from, honey. You gotta get more specific. <laughs> now, the woman says she's pro-life. Then she turns around and starts screaming that the state should kill somebody. How is that pro-life if she's calling for death? You better preach. She asks, what would Jesus do? I'll tell you what Jesus would do. He'd remind you that he got the death penalty, aha, uh -huh, and the system was rigged. Then he'd hold up the Bible and say, now what part of thou shalt not kill. Did you not understand? You tell it. Oh, Rupert Murdoch, spreading hate and fear, reporting things that aren't true, and calling it news. Ooh, I cannot look at it anymore. I go to a restaurant and they've got Fox News on TV. I turn around and walk out. Curtis has started watching it. Can you believe that? He keeps telling me that Troy Davis is guilty. He's listening to the wrong people. He's going to be fine, Mary. How do you know? Hmm? How do you know? They say death row, we say hell no. no. They say death row, we say hell no. no. I am Troy Davis. I am Troy Davis. I am Troy Davis. They will not kill Troy Davis, not in my name. Troy Davis has maintained his innocence for over 20 years. And still, they are set to kill him tomorrow night. We must fight. We must fight for those who are behind bars. We must fight for Troy Davis. Troy Davis was convicted in Chatham County in Savannah of a crime he did not commit. No, he didn't. He was a young black man who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. In Chatham County, race relations are like they were in the 1950s. Because the one place they want to keep all black men is locked up behind bars. We stand here today because executing an innocent man does not bring justice to the family of Mark LaFell. No justice, no, no peace. peace. No, no justice, no peace. Justice for Mark McPhail. Justice for Mark McPhail. I'm Troy Davis. Where is the justice for Mark McPhail? I'm gonna let Troy it shine. Davis is guilty. Justice for Mark McPhail. Justice for Mark McPhail now. Curtis, put that sign down. No. Have you lost your mind? Somebody needs to stand up for Mark McPhail. Somebody needs to stand up for his family. Somebody needs to stand up for us. Your brothers from Morehouse are all I don't care. There are vigils all over the world to try and save Troy Davis. Justice for Mark McPhail. Justice for Mark McPhail now. Listen to me. Jimmy Carter, the NAACP, Bob Barr, they are all calling to save Troy Davis. And you How can you take his side? After everything we went through, how can you turn your back on what we've known? How can you turn your back on your own people, Curtis? Your own people? My people? Troy Davis isn't my people. I don't know him and neither do you. Justice for Mark McPhail. Justice for Mark McPhail now. Listen, I know you're young and you think you're being brave. I'm standing up for the underdog. Somebody has to do it. We got death threats, Granny. Just like they are getting, people are blaming the McPhails for Troy Davis's execution. 
When that happened to us, the only person who stood up for us was John. So you'd better believe I'm going to stand up for the Mark McPhails of the world. Somebody has to have their back. And who has Troy Davis's back? The whole world, by the look of it. And why do you think that is? I don't know. I need to tell you something. I'm not going to Morehouse anymore. What? You can't quit Morehouse. I already have. This is because of this Troy Davis thing, isn't it? You've got it so mixed up in your head. I want to be a police officer. You're making the wrong choice here. My God, you're really making the wrong choice. He's guilty. I just know he is. Curtis. You read this. It's evidence that proves he's innocent. Curtis, you're breaking my heart. Thomas Dunn, defense counsel. This is a case of mistaken identity. This case presents the horrors of blatant and pervasive state misconduct, misidentification, false testimony from pressured witnesses, and ineffective assistance of counsel, which has resulted in the wrongful conviction of and sentence of death for an innocent man, Troy Davis. Sylvester Red Coles hassled Larry Young for a beer threatened to shoot him, and then struck Mr. Young in the face with his 38 caliber revolver. When Officer McPhail approached, Red Cole shot and killed him with the same gun. The state's case against Mr. Davis began with Red Cole's statement to the police. Every other piece of evidence presented at trial evolved from Red Cole's statement, a statement that even Red Coles would later admit was false the least of which was the fact that he possessed a 38 revolver on the night of the crime, the same caliber as the weapon used to shoot Officer McPhail. No physical evidence has ever been presented to establish that Mr. Davis was the individual who shot Officer McPhail. My name is Joseph Washington. In August of 1989, I was at a party where some people got shot. Very soon after the shooting, I went to Farm Street near the Burger King. This is where I saw Sylvester Coles, I know him by the name Red, shoot the police officer. I am positive that it was Red who shot the police officer. Red was wearing a white shirt with the Batman print on the front of it. My name is Tanya Johnson. When the police officer was shot at the Burger King, I was living not far from there. I heard the shots and walked outside where I saw Sylvester Coles, we all called him Red, and a guy named Terry coming down the street from the Burger King. They were both in a panic and very nervous. Red and Terry each had a gun with him. Red asked me to hold the guns for him, which I refused to do. Red then took both guns next door to an empty house. I know Red all my life. He used to live next door to me. I know him to be a crazy individual. For most of my life, I've been scared to death of him. He threatened me after this happened. This is why I did not testify about the guns at Troy's trial. I was afraid of what Red would do to me if I did. My name is Benjamin Gordon. I had additional information about the shooting of the officer. 
I did not tell about the information because it involves a family member, Sylvester Coles. For as long as I've known him, Red has been a drinker. Budweiser, moonshine, whatever. Red had a temper too when he was drinking and he would do all sorts of crazy stuff. Red loved guns. His favorite was a 38 revolver. He had one on him almost every time I seen him. I don't remember the exact date when Red and I talked about the shooting of the officer. We were just kicking back and drinking. Out of nowhere, Red said, I shouldn't have done that shit. That shit was fucked up. It was clear to me that he was talking about the officer's killing because we had just been talking about that. I told Red about how mad I was about the way the cops treated me that night, and that's when he said he shouldn't have done it. I told him he needed to go down there and straighten out because they had someone else locked up for the murder. Raz sat there and cried when I said that. Wait a minute. Benjamin Gordon, witness. Mr. Gordon, is there any doubt in your mind that Red Coles fired that shot? No, sir. Did you tell that to the police when they questioned you? No, sir. Why not? Mainly out of fear of Red Coles retaliating by doing some harm to me. Thomas Dunn, defense counsel. Red Coles committed these crimes in front of numerous witnesses, including some who knew him. By the next day, Red knew he was in serious trouble and responded in the only way he could, to falsely point the finger at Mr. Davis, who was also present at the scene. At 7.55 p.m., Red Coles, accompanied by his lawyer, went to police headquarters and makes his initial self-serving statement, exonerating himself in the assault of Mr. Young and the shooting of Officer McPhail. The reason is obvious. Coles went to the police station to exculpate himself and to incriminate Mr. Davis. Law enforcement officials bought Mr. Coles' story hook, line, and sinker. They never considered Mr. Coles to be a suspect. The investigative goal was no longer to determine who shot Officer McPhail. Rather, the goal of the investigation was to support Red Coles' statement that Mr. Davis committed these crimes. Did you give her a photo lineup as well? Detective Ramsey. Yes, ma'am, I did. Was Red Coles in that lineup? No, ma'am. Why not? Red Coles was not a suspect in the case. Thomas Dunn, defense counsel. During the preliminary stage of the investigation, none of these core eyewitnesses were sure of who was involved, what happened, or even who did what. Once Red Coles came forward, all that changed. Later that same day, investigators implement an investigative technique that can only be described as unorthodox. They take Coles, Collins, and Larry Young to the Burger King parking lot and asked them to position themselves where they were when the assault occurred. Such contamination of witnesses, especially eyewitnesses, is outrageous. By using such a procedure, investigators are telling Mr. Young that Coles and Collins did not assault him. There cannot be a more insidious way of tainting an eyewitness. How could they do that? Having learned that Mr. Coles didn't tell you he had a gun the first time you spoke to him, and then later learning he did have a gun, did that make you suspicious that Mr. Coles might in fact have been the shooter in one of the two shootings? Detective Ramsey. No, sir. He still was not a suspect? Not in my mind, he was not. 
At what point in the investigation of the shooting of Officer McPhail did you determine that the investigation was complete? I don't know that we would say it was complete at the time of conviction. We're still here 21 years later. How is that possible? Thomas Dunn, defense counsel. The state knowingly presented false testimony and suppressed information that would have been favorable to the defense. And the cumulative materiality undermines confidence in the outcome of the guilt, innocence, and penalty phases of trial in violation of the 5th, 6th, 8th, and 14th Amendments to the United States Constitution. Holy crap. Robert Falligant, defense counsel. Coles was actually the perpetrator of this crime. He was the only one who was seen with a gun that night. Jay Ewart, defense counsel. All alternative suspects were essentially dropped after Red Coles walked into the police station. When he walked in and pointed the finger at Troy, the investigation of all suspects ends. No one tried to confirm Red's alibi. No one searched Red's house. They knew Coles might have done it, but they didn't investigate him? Anthony Hargrove, witness. When I had the conversation with Mr. Coles, he told me, Troy took the fall for him. I said, for what? He said, well, you know, I shot a cop. He said, yeah, Troy took the fall. That's exactly what he said. Jay Ewart. Defense counsel. Benjamin Gordon provided us clear and compelling new evidence that he saw Mr. Coles shoot Officer McPhail. There was no innuendo or parsing. Gordon told us how he saw it, and he was clear. Coles shot Officer McPhail. He's innocent? You've been listening to Beyond Reasonable Doubt, The Troy Davis Project, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. The play was written by Lee Noel, who adapted it for radio. The cast includes Cynthia Barker, John Benzinger, Eddie Bradley Jr., Lane Carlock, Danielle Deadweiler, Terry Henry, Eric Mendenhall, and Stephen Ruffin. Our producer is Sean Powers. He had assistance from Jenny Amund and Olivia Rheingold. Lane Starrett was the audio engineer for the project. Music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Bill Nygut. You can find more information about the Troy Davis case at gpbnews.org. And if you haven't caught the other act of Beyond Reasonable Doubt, download it from Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening.